our Vision Sundays. This is the third one. Uh, the first one looked at the past. Last week we looked at the present and today we are looking at the future. And can I just say as we launch into this, this is perhaps going to be the most challenging of the three. Why is that most challenging? Well, in some ways, we really don't know what the future holds. Yeah. Now, I say that because I'm also in that saying in hope that I'm praying God will give us some more prophetic gifts. Did you know that throughout history, and if you read the New and the Old Testament, the prophets, do you know what their other name was? Yeah, they were called seers. Yeah. And that is because they would be able to see what was coming. And we've been told in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit has been given to us and he will tell us what is to come. Out of all the people in all the world, the church of God should not be blind, but should know what is coming. Now, let me tell you, I, I would guarantee that all of us who follow Christ, we already have a sense of what is coming. Yeah. And we know it's not good. I hate to say that, but if you have the same sense that I am having is that our future is not going to get easier. I wish I could tell you that, but in here, in my own spirit, I don't feel it is. And as we look forward in terms of where we go as a Hope Church, I want to be really transparent about where we are as a church and a church leadership. And I want to talk about some of the practicalities because that's what it boils down to in many ways. Now, I mentioned it last week, and it's an ongoing theme. Everything is changing. If there is a word for the season, it is the word transition. We are transitioning. And as we transition from one time period to another in history, things are going to change. There was a time before the Reformation, there was a time after the Reformation. There was a time before Jesus, there was a time after Jesus. And I believe we are in a time that is so significant that the face of church, the face of Christianity is going to change. Now by that, I don't mean Christianity in terms of what we believe, but in the way that we have been practicing it over the past 150 years. We're going to see a change that is coming. Now, the transition is occurring, not because we intentionally change it, because times are changing. I don't know if you feel that. The times are changing. Uh, in the Bible, it talks about, you know, we know that spring is near when we see the buds or the green shoots on the trees and we see the leaves come out. And we can begin to sense that in terms of what is happening within our nation and what is happening spiritually. Many of us would like to see the activities that we have been doing as a church continue, but the change in society is making life and making the availability of volunteers for this very thin on the ground. Therein lies our first conundrum. Yeah, the volunteers or the availability of volunteers that we once had, we no longer have. In the past 10 years, a majority of our workers have stepped down due to age and physical limitations. They have served well, but they've also come out of a very different generation. 
A lot of the folks came out of a generation where the man went to work and the woman kept home, looked after family and got involved in a lot of things in church life. We are no longer in such a context. We're no longer in a context where the weekend is off. Yeah? We have people in our church where Sunday is the same as Monday and Saturday is the same as Friday. And so we need to take those things into account as we move forward. Younger generation have very different circumstances. And if you look at this last year and a half with COVID, it has unemployed a whole load of people. It has made a lot of businesses shed people, but they still have the same workload and they've put it on the people who are still there. And so the whole thing of mental health, stress, increased pressure is there. And we don't want to add to it as church. We're in a period of transition. Now, the obvious response to this may be that God has a different plan. Perhaps... The things that we did do 2019 and previous are part of some old wineskins and God is saying get ready for the new. Perhaps. It's a question. Now I believe that over this period of transition to move forward there are five things that we need to do. We need to encourage one another. We need to prepare. We need to make sure we're ready. We need to stand strong. We need to reach out and we need to work together. Now, I'm going to go through those in more detail this morning. Let me talk about encouragement. Sunday morning is in the main about encouragement. I'm going to talk more about that in a moment. Um, You know, it is about growing in God on a Sunday morning. It is about exercising spiritual gifts. And one of the words that are in bold here, it's about encountering God. I really believe that our Sunday morning is going to transition to a time where we encounter God. We need to meet with God. Now, there are challenges to that, and we will mention those as we come. We've also got live life groups, but quite a few of the life groups are no longer meeting. The numbers have dropped off. Um, One of the other things that we've been kind of testing out over the last year are what we call triads and quads, groups of people of no more than three or four. You might think, oh, that's a small group, Simon. Let me tell you, groups of three or four have worked really well. There's a number of reasons why they work really well. Firstly, you can't hide. You know, on a Sunday morning like this, we can hide. It amazes me that we can go to church with people for 20 years and then something occurs and we say, you know what? I never knew that about them. How's that possible if we are a family? I know everything about Zoe and James. They know everything about me. Why? Because we're a family. And so groups of three or four, they provide encouragement. They provide transparency and accountability. They provide a place where everybody can discuss and to grow and... They provide a place of sustainable support. You know, if each one of us was in a group of three or four, it would be doable to contact those people each week, wouldn't it? To contact one or two other people is not a big problem. To contact 10 or 12 is a problem. You can't do that. Even if you said one a day, there are not enough days in a week. 
And so I believe that these smaller triads and quads are going to become more vital and they're going to become more vital if we end up with more lockdowns, if we end up with the church being persecuted to a point where we can't meet on a Sunday, then triads and quads are going to become vital for our continued growth and encouragement. Let me speak about Sunday mornings for a moment. It really is apparent we need a place where we can be together. You know, I've really enjoyed that we're back in the building and that we're together. There's just something about knowing the presence of other people around you. I loved it this morning that some of you guys started off some songs. Keep it going. We need it. We really need a spill out of what we are in God to do those things. And we want Sunday mornings to be an encounter with God. That is our main focus. If nothing else, we need to come out of here saying, I've met with God. And I'll tell you why we need that, because our weeks are going to be quite tough. The working life is not an easy place. Relationships in family and all those things, they are difficult things. I was saying to Jocelyn that I kind of thought as I would get older, things might get slightly easier. But the stress and the difficulty seems to, since I've turned 50, it's kind of going, woo! And we need, yeah, thanks James saying I'm old now. <laughs> the thing is that we need to encounter God. Here's something from my experience. There is a reason I spend time with God every day. And that is not because when I spend time with God, my situation changes. But when I spend time with God, it seems not to matter anymore. The presence of God, when it comes down upon me, when I sense and know God is with me, my perspective changes on all the things that give me stress. And I need to spend that time with God because if I don't, I am overcome with the troubles of the world. And if you look at the parable of the sower, that is sufficient to stop the seed being fruitful in my life. And I can tell you in my kind of 30 plus years of ministry, I know countless Christians where the troubles of this life and the deceitfulness of riches have made them unfruitful in God. We don't want to be like that. And so we have this time with God and we realize that we can overcome. We realize that we can face the situation and we go, we're not swamped by everything that is going on. And so we want to have a space where we can get together as believers and focus on God. And that is Sunday morning. Now, somebody will say, what about outreach? I will mention that later on. We want to strengthen and encourage one another. Now, we also need to look at participation. You see, here's the challenge. If you look at how we are seated, the idea is, is that the action is here on this platform. It's raised up so you can see the people, but it also gives the impression that there's nothing you need to do. It does, doesn't it? Because when you go to the cinema or when you go to the theatre, you are not expected to participate. You've come to watch the show. And the problem is that this can give the same impression, but it isn't like that. Because when we come together, 1 Corinthians tells us that everybody brings something. 
It's either a song, as you guys did this morning, or it's a prophetic word, or it's a word of knowledge, or it's a word of instruction, or it's a psalm or a hymn. You know, we bring something. And the challenge is, I'm, I'm going to, over the, the, the kind of next period of time, try and push you a bit in that. Not because I want to force you to do it, but I want to kind of get the starter motor going so that when you come on a Sunday, you think, God might use me. You know, we're all the same. Anybody here who is not a sinner? Yeah, nobody? Good. Well, we're all in the same boat. We're all sinners saved by grace. And spiritual gifts are a gift. And if they are a gift, it is not dependent on how good I am. It's not dependent on how much I prayed. It's dependent upon the giver. And let me tell you, God gives pretty good gifts. I mean, have you known in your life, there are some people when you get a gift, you think this is a good gift. And other people that kind of give you something you think you want to give on to somebody else. God's kind of gifts are the good gifts. And, and, and they're available. Can I tell you, to each one of you, God's gifts, his spiritual gifts, they are available to you. All you need to do is ask. Say, Lord, I want to be able to prophesy. I tell you, it would be great, wouldn't it? If on a Sunday morning we get together and there's 50 of us prophesying, man, people would come. So we're trying to help people to participate in the gatherings. Now, we do have some challenges on a Sunday morning. You'll notice that the worship team is quite often Natalie. You know, she does a tremendous job. I want to say thank you. You know, it really is a challenge to do that. We need more singers. We need more musicians. And as we transition, we need people to be involved. I tell you, it's good to start songs. You know, it's scriptural. You've got a song, do it. If I start the song, my kids will run out screaming. So I'm hoping that it's some of you guys who can sing in tune that can start the songs, and we can do that. It's a tremendous help to Natalie as well. We are together. The second thing that I mentioned is that we need to prepare. What is preparation about? Well, it's equipping us for today and for the days ahead. We need to be equipped. The only way we can follow Jesus is if we are obedient to what he commanded. Now that requires knowledge. So that means we need to get to know the Bible. We need to know what he said and what he expected. We need to know what the gospel is. We need to know what the plan of salvation is. We need practical truth for living. Let me tell you, the truth of scripture is no longer the truth that the world lives by. Now we're going to look at this whole idea of preparation because we are working it into a number of areas in church life. So one of the first areas is our Bible studies. Every other Tuesday, we do a Bible study, but it is not a traditional Bible study where one person stands up and preaches for an hour. It is a time where we sit around the table and we discuss a, pa a passage of scripture. Anybody who's come to that, enjoyed it, found it fruitful? Yeah, so just look at those hands. It's been real. I've enjoyed it. I really have. A, I don't have to do all the stuff. I can sit there and we can look at the Bible together and ask some questions. And it is amazing. You know, it's taken us two weeks to get through Mark chapter one. We're still not fully finished, but we've decided it's probably safe to move on to Mark chapter two. 
let me encourage you, if you want to grow in your knowledge of God's word, it's not just about reading, it's about talking it through. Because when you read it, there are tons of questions. So come on a Tuesday, every other Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. One of the other things we're doing is we're looking at helping people understand what the essential things are of discipleship. Matthew 28 tells us that we are to make disciples of all nations. That is Jesus's great commission to every believer. And that means each one of us should be able to make disciples. And, and last week we looked at everything we've done as a church in the past 11 years has been about getting ready. Ready for what? To make disciples. If I was to ask you, hey, I've got a new believer here, can I pass them on to you so that you can teach them the essentials of discipleship, would you be able to do it? If I had somebody said, Simon, I'm really interested to know more about Jesus, and I would say, great, I'm going to pass you on to somebody, they'll do that, would you be able to do that? The challenge is the church in Acts could do that after two years of being a believer. Just two years, think about that. And they didn't have a Bible. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that to make you feel guilty. I'm saying that because we are providing an opportunity where every single person can do that. We don't want to leave it to chance. And so we are looking at taking people through on how to be a disciple and to make other disciples. The idea is, is that we become disciples that make disciples. Why do we need to do that? Well, I've already said it's the Great Commission. As the world changes, we may find that our real work is with our friends, with our family, with our neighbours and our workplace. That that is where God calls us to make disciples. And we want to equip everybody to be effective. So how are we going to do this? Well, we have created groups of three to four people. That is enough people to discuss about being a disciple. We are discussing some core truths. There are 25 core truths that we will be looking at. And the idea is, is that the groups will meet weekly or bi-weekly. They'll spend about 90 minutes together. It is not a teaching session. Let me say this right off the bat. It is not a teaching session. It is a group that discusses around the theme. So there will be a core truth and they will discuss it. There is some homework that folks will need to do to read through, to think about, to answer questions. And then at the end of it, there is the expectation that each person in the group will take two of the people through those 25 core truths. And we will keep that going. And the hope is that within a few years' time, everybody in our church will know how to disciple somebody else. Now, let me be really clear here. You do not need um, a degree in English. You do not need to have um, amazing skills and whatever. It is a discussive group. Yeah, there is some written material, but actually the point is discussion. And it is not about getting through the material. It is about the relationship and about discussing and processing pretty much as we're doing with the Bible studies on a Tuesday where we're chatting these things through. This is relational discipleship. I don't know if you've noticed, but Jesus in his making of disciples was relational. 
He chose people and said, come follow me. They lived with him. They walked with him. They saw how he treated other people. It was a relational experience. And that's why we're using groups of three or four so that relationships can be built up. And we can say, hey, yeah, you know, I've always had a question about this. I know a guy who's been doing this for 20, he's done 20, he's gone through groups like this for 22 years. And I said, doesn't it become old doing the same truths each time? He says, no, he says, because every group is unique and I learn something each time. It's amazing. Now, if you want to know more about those, please come and see me, send me a text, give me a phone call, and I will share more about that. We currently have about, we have two groups already on the go. We've got another two groups that will be starting shortly. And there are only groups of two or three. What we are trying to do is make the groups gender specific because that means that women can talk with women and men can talk with men. It actually makes it a bit easier in that way. But we're also doing groups with couples. Yeah, would be interested to do groups with families as well. We've not thought about that, but we're open to that. But the point is we're moving forward in equipping and preparing one another. Children's work's another area. We've recognized how important it is to disciple our children. And we have spent a considerable amount of effort in developing what we believe is the right way forward. Just want to thank Jocelyn, uh, Michelle, you know, within the children's work. We are going to be using something called chronological Bible storying. I don't have time to go into the detail, but essentially the children, this will start next Sunday, the children will go out during the sermon and they will learn a story from the Bible. The Bible is split into 52 stories. They will learn a story and alongside that story, they will learn the truth that the story teaches. What does that mean? It means A, they don't have to work through text. It means B, they can share the story with their family. They can share it with their friends and they are learning the truth through the stories. You know, stories are so powerful, our TVs would not exist if it wasn't for the stories that they show. A movie is a story. A soap is a story. Why do people watch them? Because we all love a good story. And so we are going to be teaching our children stories. If you want to help with that, if you want to get engaged with that, see Jocelyn um, and it will be really, really good. I'm excited about that. Hope kids, hope toddlers, uh, they are going to continue, although we need to see how we're going to work those. If you want to help with Hope Kids or Hope Toddlers, uh, with Hope Kids, please see Michelle. With Hope Toddlers, please see Chris. And we will just see how those things are going to work out. We're not sure. We're going to test the water and we're going to move those things forward. Hope Youth is still running. Ben's doing a good job with his team. If you'd like to know more or be involved, please see Ben. I've already mentioned that a lot of departments have lost volunteers and there are some practical areas, but I will mention that as we go through. We need to, as a church, stick to truth. That is part of preparation. We need to stick to truth. We live in a world that is relativist. I don't know if you know what that means, but it simply means that everybody has their own truth. You maybe have heard the phrase that people have used in conversation. Well, you believe that, that's good, but I believe something different. Yeah? Have you kind of heard that expression? Yeah, people use it all the time. That is relativism. 
Yeah, that is saying you can have that truth and I will have this truth. The problem is the Bible says there's only one truth. It would be like going to the shop and saying, well, you know, um, two plus two equals four. Well, I don't believe that. I think it, it, it's five, but you, it's okay. You believe two and two is four and I believe two and two is five. We'll just agree to disagree. It's nonsense. Really, it's nonsense because you can't do that. And God has given us real values. The problem is people saying that they can have their own truth is dangerous because it changes the gospel. It changes the truth of scripture. And so there is a challenge that we live in a world where not even all churches are following truth. And many churches now are changing to the truth of the world and they are deserting the truth that is in scripture. Now, why am I saying that? I'm saying that because because of where we are, we need to build in safeguards about who we allow to influence our children and our young people, who we allow to teach and preach, because we need to ensure it is biblical truth. I don't want somebody standing up here saying, well, I think, you say, well, the Bible doesn't say that. Yeah, but I see it differently. We are not that kind of church. And I will fight tooth and nail that we will not be that kind of church. We have a mandate, and the mandate is the truth of God as revealed in Scripture. And that is what we will stick with. And as part of that safeguard, we have put in two requirements for anybody who wants to minister under Hope Church. What do I mean by minister? I mean somebody who is going to teach Scripture or give advice or counselling, some form of input to somebody else, we are putting in a couple of requirements. Firstly this, that they need to be regular attenders on Sundays and Tuesdays. Why are we saying that? Well, if people are not receiving input, how can they give input? If we are not here on a Sunday, if we're not here on a Tuesday in the Bible study and in the prayer, if we're not engaged in that, then what are we giving to other people when we are inputting into them the truth of God? Now, I know that that is not always possible. So we're not saying that as a kind of, if you, you don't attend those, you can't. There are exceptions and there will be exceptions. Yet people who have shift work, people uh, who have other commitments that they need to go to. But what we are saying is, where possible, it's a priority and it's a high priority. The other thing is we need to lead by example. How can we teach our children that it is good to follow Christ if we don't turn up ourselves? So we need to put that through. Now, this does not affect purely practical roles. Now, you might ask the question, why? So by practical roles, people who are doing refreshments, people who are setting up equipment, etc. Because over time, we may well do things that bring the community in and they may they may well help with some of the practical things and we want to encourage that. But when it comes to giving spiritual instruction or saying this is how we should behave and how we should act, giving counselling, these are the requirements that we have. The second one is a sheet of paper that you will have been handed, if you haven't, they're on the foyer on the way out, called Hope Church Values. Now, Hope Church Values has come out of a recognition that truth is not the same in all churches 
It's certainly not the same in the world. And we need to make sure that we are championing biblical truth. And so we spent quite a lot of time revising this statement to get it right. But I'm going to read it to you because um, for those of, of you that are, are not here listening to this on audio, you'll hear this statement. This is Hope Church's value statement. In our ever-changing culture, pressure to conform to the pattern of this world, uh, sorry, uh, pattern of this world, or to be aligned with God's revelation through scripture is a battle every follower of Christ will encounter. And that comes from Romans 12 too. In the following statement, we hope to make clear to all our members and those who serve in ministry where we want to align. We hope that you can stand with us as we aim to witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ and live as his community. We recognize that all people are broken. Sin has left its mark on every aspect of life and society. However, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are called to a deliverance from a broken lifestyle and to live differently to the world. A challenge to us all. It's not that we embrace the brokenness of this world, but instead we embrace the deliverance and the new life offered in Christ through the gospel. The challenge we face is that the culture and world around us want the church to embrace this brokenness and no longer encourage us to fight it, but to accept it as inevitable and normal. This would lead to a culturally led church and would be a great mistake. The head of the church is not the world or the culture around us, but Jesus Christ who purchased it with his sacrifice. Rather than embracing modern cultural values, True followers of Christ and true churches will continually return to what Jesus taught us. They will embrace and accept his values and instruction as normative, even if everyone around them does not. This is part of the cost of following Jesus. This also recognises that whereas Jesus is the head of the church, Satan is the head of the world, found in 1 John 5.19. This means that there, this means that there will always be conflict between the values of the world and the church. In our pursuit to be obedient to Jesus, we do not want to focus on any single area, but the whole broad landscape of life in the kingdom of Jesus. With this in mind, we are affirming that the whole Bible is normative for the lifestyle of a follower of Jesus. This does not include privately held interpretations, but corporately determined interpretations discovered through those God has gifted to teach, given authority and anointed with the Holy Spirit. It is the expectation of every follower of Jesus that they will, under the grace of God, with the help of the Holy Spirit and the encouragement of the believers, fight the good fight of faith living in accordance with truth as revealed in scripture. We live transparent lives, open to instruction and correction, and departure from biblical truth leads to a departure from following Jesus, as we are only followers if we continue to obey. Now, that statement is a statement that defines what our values are. 
in terms of what difference is it going to make? It means that if people say they want to be part of Hope Church in terms of a member, or they want to minister, then we will say, you need to agree to that statement. Why are we going to do that? We're going to do that because if all of a sudden somebody says, well, hey, you know, um, yeah, I want to teach in the church, and then they fall into sexual immorality, we can say, hold on a minute, we agreed that we would live by biblical values. Yeah? Or if it means that we do something else that the Bible says we shouldn't do, that it gives us the recourse to sit down and say, the Bible doesn't say we should live like that. Now, I know it can sound a bit hard in some ways, but actually we have to draw a line under the truth and say, this is what we live by. It'll be a challenge. I tell you, it will be a challenge because the world does not like those values and they will try and fight against that. But we feel if we don't make a statement like that, we can veer off into all kinds of dangerous areas. And many churches have shipwrecked themselves on that already and many believers. If you have questions about that, please chat to me. I'd love to talk through uh, if you've got any concerns within that. One of the questions that may be in your mind is why we've put in there not privately held interpretations of the Bible. There's a very simple reason for that. Ephesians 5 says that God has given gifts to the church and one of those is teaching. If God has given the gift of teacher to the church, then it means we can't all derive the same understanding out of scripture that a teacher could, otherwise you wouldn't need a teacher. Does that make sense? And so God has gifted people with an ability to understand the Bible and to make that truth understandable that is not open to every believer on every scripture. I know we can read it through in the main and understand it, but I also know that in the main, Christians very often draw wrong conclusions and come up with ideas that are not necessarily right. And what we're trying to mitigate against here is we are saying that not every private interpretation of the Bible is correct, but God has anointed people, and that will be what we will believe as truth within the church. Now, that doesn't mean one person will stand up and have the authority. All of those things will be worked through, as scripture tells us to, but it kind of saves us from relativism, where every Christian says, well, I see it differently. I hope that makes sense. Um, standing strong, our kind of third area. You know, we can only stand strong if two things occur. Firstly, if we are deeply connected to Jesus. I cannot re-emphasize and emphasize again and again the importance of our time with Jesus every day. The second is that we need to be deeply connected to one another. We are a family together. Now, this includes meeting regularly. You know, sadly, post-COVID, there's quite a number of people who say, well, I can get it all online. I don't need to go to church. I believe that's a massive mistake. We need to meet together. Uh, proper preparation and genuine encouragement will help us to move forward. And, you know, in mentioning this value statement and in standing strong, we are going to face a challenge because we have to make a choice in our working life, in our family life, in our life outside of this building, what we are going to stand for. Why am I saying that? Because it may come at a personal cost. You know, when I was a missionary in India, 
Um, I would talk to men who had doctorates and when they chose to follow Jesus, they couldn't even get a job as a street sweeper because of the values that they held. We are now in a world where if you stick with Jesus's values, you may well lose your job. If you say, hey, I don't agree with same-sex marriage. If you say, hey, I don't think the gender thing is a good thing. You may find yourself out of a job quicker than anything else. Now, I'm not saying that we need to stand with a placard in our workplace and do that, but there will be a challenge that your workplace may want you to promote that, and then you've got to make a decision. By which truth will you stand? Whose truth will you promote? And so it may come at a personal cost. It may come at the cost of our children's education. We may hit a time where we have to pull our children out of schools because what they are teaching is unhealthy and wrong. We may have to give up our jobs. We have to make a choice with our lifestyle in what we will do and what we won't do, even though we have the freedom in the world to do all things. I want to remind you that Jesus warned us that these days were coming. And I want to be really clear, as a church, we will stick with the truth. We will stick to biblical truth. I'm aware of time. Uh, number four is reaching out. Now, reaching out is another area of challenge. Our tradition of evangelism focuses on salvation only. Why am I saying that? Because that is not the complete gospel. If I was to ask you a question this morning, what is the difference between the gospel and the plan of salvation? I want you to think about that for a moment. If you had to, to, to write down a brief sentence, what is the gospel and a brief sentence and what is the plan of salvation, is there going to be a difference in what you write down? For the church of the last 150 years, no. For the church prior to that, yes. We have narrowed down the gospel in the last 150 to 200 years to salvation only. We have preached the gospel of forgiveness only, and that is a dangerous gospel. Why is that a dangerous gospel? Let's think for the logic for a moment. If somebody came to you, let's say you weren't a Christian, somebody comes to you and they say to you, you can have all of your sins forgiven, and you can be eternity in heaven with God if you pray this prayer. I mean, you'd be brain dead not to do that, wouldn't you? I mean, even on an insurance level, even if you don't fully believe it, hey man, let's just do this because it means all of my sins gone and I've secured a place in heaven and it's, it's all good. I mean, we'd be silly not to do that. Logic tells us, well, hey man, the cost of a prayer to eternal life with God in heaven, that's really simple. That is the danger of the forgiveness only gospel because that is not the gospel. The gospel says there is no salvation without discipleship. The gospel says that your sins cannot be forgiven unless you deny yourself, take up your cross and daily follow Jesus. The two go together. And yet in the last 150 years, church in the main has, has preached a gospel that is only the plan of salvation. You can have your sins forgiven and go to heaven. And that gospel is of no earthly use, really, because it doesn't say how we live day to day. 
And so there is a challenge for us in terms of reaching out that we need to make sure we are preaching the full gospel and not just a part of the gospel. We need to help people understand that we are witnessing to something and that witnessing is not a body of knowledge. That witnessing is that we have ordered our lives by something we believe. You know, I, I became a believer when I was 16 years old. I had an encounter with God. He forgave my sin. But from that point on, my whole life was his. It wasn't that I'd receive forgiveness and I was going to heaven. There was a transaction. It cost Jesus his life. And in exchange, my life is given. We've got a couple of people who've, who want to be baptized. And baptism is signifying that. I don't know if you know. Did you know that baptism is a funeral? It's a funeral. When Simon Smailers was baptized, he went in Simon Smailers and he came out dead. And now the life he lives in the body is in Christ Jesus. I am no longer free to make my own decisions. I'm no longer free to do what I like. I now belong to God. I have been purchased by his blood. And so the gospel is not just about forgiveness and going to heaven. It's about my whole life belongs to him on earth. And we need to talk about that. We need to help people understand that. Part of our process in discipleship will help people to understand that. We'll have people who might come into church and they'll say, I want to know more about God. We'll take them through that. We won't just say, pray a quick prayer and everything is okay. We'll say, yeah, you can pray the prayer, but that is the beginning, not the end. When you pray that prayer, when you say, Jesus, I want you to forgive my sin, you are then starting. You've, you've come through the turnstile and then you have a whole life of discipleship, of following Jesus ahead of you. I think we've neglected that in the church generally in the Western world. And that has led to a low expectation. It's led to an expectation that people say, well, I've prayed the prayer. I don't need to do anything else. I've prayed the prayer, I can live my life how I like, all I just need to do is continue to say, Jesus, forgive me. No, no, no. That is why the church in the West is so weak. You see, the reason the church in places like India and China is booming is that when people make a decision to follow Jesus, the cost is right in front of them. I remember when, when I was in the, the village that Jocelyn's family was from and I went out to visit other villages, people say, if I make a decision to follow Jesus, if I am publicly baptized, my family will try to kill me because I'm turning my back on Hinduism. But we haven't had that. But you know what? The way the world is going, it's coming. And so we need to make a decision about who we are following. Let me mention a kind of final area. Final area I've called deacons and core team. In this whole area of needing help to encourage, develop and to equip all people, you know, evangelism is an area. We need an evangelist. I don't know whether you've noticed, but we don't have an evangelist. The last evangelist we had in our church was Craig Bennett. Very clear gift of evangelism. And the problem is, without that gift, it is quite difficult to do things out there because you need that gift to work. It's the same as without having a teacher, people can teach, but it's not as good as it should be. And so now we could multiply that. We, you know, we need evangelism. We need people who can work in the prophetic. The whole 
number of spiritual gift areas where we need to see God provide people. Uh, I don't know whether you've noticed, but my main gift is not pastoral. I'm a teacher. Yeah. A lot of my preaching is really teaching in disguise because I'm a teacher. And I go through and I teach that. Dave Shields was a pastor in terms of pastoral care. That was his main gift and focus. And man, is he good at that. Now, the challenge is, how do we do it when we've now got a church leader whose gift is teaching, not pastoral care? Well, there's a very simple answer. We need people raised up in the fellowship who have a pastoral care gift. I don't believe that God leaves us without those gifts. And maybe that's you. And maybe you think, yeah, I would love to visit people. I would love to call people. I would love to help people and chat with people. Well, hey, we need you. Because when I call up people, they quickly put the phone down. (laughs) It's we operate within the gifts that we have. And so we have a whole number of areas that we need help. We need a diaconate. Anybody remember what diaconate? Well done, that man. You're the only one. Go to the top of the class. You know, the older churches, kind of pre-80s, they all had a diaconate. Now, the diaconate comes out of some stuff that Timothy said, but it really comes out of the book of Acts, where the apostles... They said, our job is praying and ministering the word of God. Says, That's what we need to do. But they needed people that did practical things. Feed the widows, look after the finances, look after the building, look after all of those things. And we need that as a church. We need people within Hope Church that would form a diaconate and say, hey, Simon and the leadership team, we will take care of all the practical stuff to do with the building. You would not believe the amount of work that that stuff is. Uh, We need people who can look at charity law and keep us up to date. We need people who can help us have all the right policies in place. We need people who can help us engage with the poor and needy and social help. So many different areas. At the moment, we have a two-tier leadership structure. So we are required by charity law to have trustees. And so we have what are called managing trustees. They are the guys who are legally responsible for Hope Church. And as managing trustees, we have myself, Alan Jones, Michelle Walker. And then we have two people that you might not know. We have John Price and another guy called Dave McEwen. They are all leaders of churches themselves. But we wanted two people outside of here to stop us being blinkered. Because one of the things that's quite good when we meet as trustees, John needs a church in Wombourne. Dave is part of a number of churches up in the north. They will ask questions that other people might not ask. And it's good to have other church leaders on to keep us challenged. Now, so they are the ones who are legally responsible. But then we have what we call a core team. And they are responsible for the day-to-day running of Hope Church. That core team is myself, Alan and Michelle. Now, anything that has legal ramifications, we will discuss, but we will take back to the trustees and the trustees will make a decision. So we don't do anything that is just me or us as a core team making the decisions. We have a slightly wider group, so there's a safety in that. Here's the challenge. We have wanted to, over the last number of years, to grow our core team. 
And we've asked a number of people to join us as a core team, but we've only had one person who has accepted that, uh, and that was my wife. <laughs> so, you know, end of July, Jocelyn joined us as part of the core team. We're going to pray for her before we finish this morning. But, you know, it's really good. But we need more help. We need diaconate. We need more on the core team. Let me mention Alan and Fran for a moment. Yes. Alan and Fran, they, I think they got here when the ark kind of, yes. you know, hit the mountain. And they journeyed here to West Brom. And they've been part of the church since then. They have been amazing. Okay, Wolverhampton. You know, they have been amazing, and you would not believe all that they do. Now, in 18 months, sorry to say this, Alan, Alan turns 17. Yeah. Now, Alan, now he gets help with Ken to look after the building here. Alan is our treasurer. He sorts out all the finances and stuff. Uh, and we also want to thank Jeannie, because I know Jeannie helps with that. But... We need people to help sort some of these things out. Alan and Fran sort out all the cleaning in many of the practical areas of the church. We need more people. And I want you just to have a quick look around. We are becoming an older church. And we need to change that. We need to pray. We need to see God work. And so you see there are quite a few areas that we need help on if we are going to move forward as a church. We've had some really faithful people who have served over many years. I want to acknowledge um, Anna, who led the Bright Hour, that's finished. Cynthia, who did the singles, you know, and there are other people who've served on teams. We really want to thank you for all the work that you have done. But we need to ask the question, how are we going to move forward if we don't have the volunteers to do those things? And so I hope you can see we're not stationary. We haven't got our head in the Sanders leadership. We're, we're really asking all of the questions. We're asking the uncomfortable questions. We're looking at these things. But we're saying today, we need everybody who is part of Hope Church to ask themselves, what is God calling you to do here as part of Hope Church? Because I don't believe God has spare parts in his body. You know, we, we don't know what the appendix does, but I'm sure it has a function. But God has no spare parts in his body. And so the bottom line in all of that we're saying is that we need volunteers. And we've had so many people say, we want more. We want to see more happen. We want more of God. And we are saying this morning, yeah, we want that. But we can't do it unless we are doing it together. It can't be done by a group of three or four people. It can't be done by people that are reaching over 70, uh, have physical challenges and are coming to a point of retirement or who are retired already. And so we need to ask some of the questions. And these are questions that come out of transition. In terms of these practicalities, let me just mention uh, a couple of areas. Sunday morning services. We need stewards. We need people to welcome people on the door. We need people who can help with putting the chairs back and putting the chairs out. We need people to serve on the breaking of bread. 
We need people to uh, help take up the offering. We need people to sing as part of the worship team. We need people to play instruments as part of the worship team. We need people to help clean the building. We need help with the multimedia. We need help with the PA. We need help with the refreshments. That's just Sunday. Now, there are other areas. Children and youth, they need help. You know, I've already mentioned some general areas. But this morning... I just want to finish with saying, you know, the best is yet to come. I really want to say, I honestly believe, even though I think we're moving into a really challenging time, I think the best is yet to come. I honestly believe that God is going to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. He's going to pour out his spirit and we are going to see things happen. But we need to start putting some things in place that we can function. Now, having said all of that, maybe a lot of the things we are doing will not continue. I'm not sad about that in that way, because if we don't have the volunteers, we can't do it anyway. Maybe there's a change coming. Maybe God wants you to be more involved at home with your family that isn't saved or in the workplace with unsaved people, you know, or with your neighbours or with your friends. Maybe that is where God is moving the church to. I don't fully know. We're praying about that. But I want you to pray as well. You know, one of the prayers that Jesus said to pray is pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into his field. And I believe that includes the things that we need uh, happening here at Hope Church. I'm sorry um, that this has gone longer, um, but really all of that needed to be said. And so I want to ask you to stand with us and to pray about it and to ask God about it and ask God what he wants you to do. I, I am not one of those. I don't want to pressure anybody into doing anything. To me, it's an invitation thing. The the challenge that I would throw out to you is this. What does God expect of you at Hope Church? That's the question. You ask God, God, what do you want me to do and do that? Because if you don't do it, then you have a problem with God. It's not about me as the pastor saying, oh, can you help with this? Can you help with that? We are throwing out that we need help, but I am expecting the Holy Spirit to tug on your heart and say, this is what you should be doing. And I'm not saying that as a guilt thing. I know there are, we've got quite a few people here who would love to serve, but their physical limitations do not allow them to do that. And I don't want you to feel guilty because many of you have served for many years. I think of the folks like Anne Cooper and Cynthia served many years. And so I'm going to close this morning with a prayer, but I just want to encourage you the best is going to come. God is going to work in Hope Church and we are going to see some amazing changes occurring. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you this morning. We thank you that uh, after 90 years, Hope Church is still here. And that is a testimony to your amazing grace, God, but it is also a testimony of all the men and women who over every generation have stepped into the breach in the wall and have laid their hands to the work. And Father, we pray this morning, I pray for everybody who is a part of Hope Church, that you would speak to us about what you want us to be involved with and do. And Father, we pray for those in all the different departments that we have, those who lead those, we pray that you would bless them. We pray that you would give them wisdom. And Father, we ask that you would continue to lead and to guide us. And Father, continue to provide for us. And Father, we ask, would you bring labourers into your harvest field. In the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're going to finish there. Sorry we've gone over.